You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal I saw from them was the Science Fair, which is a parallel classic drive and distortion. And now they've released a new parallel concept called the Class Reunion. The Class Reunion takes a 90s muff style circuit and combines it with their Trash Panda, which is like a soft clipping, high gain, amp in a box style circuit. And it is a super, super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options, parallel blending. It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com. That's summerschoolelectronics.com and check them out today. Hey guys, just a quick heads up before we get started here. Um, this was recorded with Andrew from Stone Picks, as you likely already know. And you also might know about his situation. His sister's house burned down shortly after we recorded this episode. And therefore, this week, he did some fundraisers of his personal gear and some... Uh, uh, various things that were donated by some some builders, and he also is donating all the sales uh, from Stone Picks to his sister this week. So far, it's been quite quite remarkable how the community has stepped up to help them out. And uh, if you ever had any curiosity about trying Stone Picks, then I would head on over to StonePicksUSA.com pick up a set and uh yeah you'll help out a good cause and if you just want to if you just want to give some money just straight to him there's also a donate option on his website so please check that out and on with the show <laughs> you know now that you mention it i don't re- i can't make any guarantee that everyone that I've talked to was wearing pants when they were talking to me. I, 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 I don't know that for sure. You, you can't make that call. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and people behind it. As you know, I am your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Andrew Jackson, the president of Stone Picks, not of the United States. but Not of the United States, no, no. He had a very spotty reputation. No, I myself am the uh, chairman of uh, Stone Guitar Picks, Stone Picks Guitars, <laughs> or Stone Picks Guitar Picks. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, Allow well, myself to introduce myself. To yourself. To myself. And, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's been a weird day. It's, it has been lie. a weird day. Yeah. It's, it's been odd. Oh, it's been odd for you as well. Yeah. Well, any day that you can start drinking at like 1130 in the morning and then end up by like six in the afternoon, it's always a good day, man. That Yeah, that's not half bad. 
I yeah. definitely couldn't. I couldn't uh, join that team today. I uh, I had you know the old nine to five. So yeah. su- such is life. Such is life. But yeah, man. Uh, a lot of people probably know what you're up to and how we have been connected. But um, for all those that don't know, uh, Andrew makes my favorite guitar picks. Oh, and, thank you very much. And I didn't know they were my favorite guitar picks until actually just 2015. I'd experimented with other things in the past, and then when I finally got to try out some Stone, I kind of fell in love. So I have you to thank for that, sir. And I have uh, YouTube to thank for that. Uh, how that came about was um, last year I was watching a YouTube uh, um instructional on how to change your tone without changing components on your guitar. And one that I saw the guy was talking about was getting different pick materials. And he said, uh, experiment with everything. They make wood, they make bone, they make horn, they make, you know, he even named a couple of other things. And I, I went on eBay like a dummy and bought one of each type. I bought like a wood pick. I bought a, a bone pick. I bought horn. And then I found stone. Uh, and then I, I ultimately stumbled upon the famous stone pick maker. Um, and I loved his picks. I loved, loved, loved his picks. But I, to me, I couldn't justify spending that money for one pick. Um, and so the, the cogs started moving in my head. Well, how can I do this? Um, and then I noticed that I had a friend in Lawrenceville here in Atlanta, Georgia, who owns a landscape supply company. And I also knew somebody who cuts stone, who works with stone. He does uh, countertop installations and the light bulb went off. I have supply. I have manufacturer. I'm making my own picks. And, um, I come to find out that I actually prefer mine to the others. Um, I don't know if it's because it has my name on it or what, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how that happened. Was it not necessarily the necessity of invention, but the necessity of never wanting to pay for my own guitar picks? Well, mission accomplished in that regard. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, a, I'm an avid collector. I have this coffin on my. Um, it's like a little resin coffin box that I found, and it's pretty much chock full of of past and present guitar picks and stuff. Nice, nice. <clears throat> so, um. Let's back back up even further than that. So that's kind of how Stone Picks got started. But what about um, my classic question? Like, what is your musical backstory, and how did you get started playing? And you know, what kind of led you down oh. that path musically? Well, when I was a, uh, it, it started really with sports. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I suffered a really horrific uh, football injury. I got my patella, my kneecap, nearly kicked off my leg. Um, Jeez. and had the guy would have kicked with one more pound of pressure, my kneecap would have been on the ground. So ultimately that, that kind of killed my sporting career really before it started. And I had a lot of time to sit, you know, when you're in rehab and you're in that balloon splint, especially rehabbing from that type of injury, I was down for like six months. Um, and so my mom originally bought me a keyboard. It could sit across my lap. I could lay there in bed. But then I thought, who gets laid playing the piano? 
You know, like nobody, <laughs> you go to a John Tesh concert, there aren't chicks ripping off their shirts and throwing it at the stage. <laughs> so I actually made my mom trade in the Cassiotone keyboard she got me, and I, I got a Fender Stratocaster Squire. 1994, 95, this was. Um, and this was also when Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, the grunge era, as it were, uh, was really big. And I had anger from being nearly decapitated, having my kneecap taken away from me, and just being a, a teenage boy. So having those two angry, you know, me against the world. Um, I got into Nirvana. I got into Dinosaur Jr. I got into, you know, the loud, angry music that didn't really take a whole lot of skill to play. Right. So my background is definitely not technical whatsoever. Uh, I cite Johnny Ramone for my playing style, the downstroke bar right. horn, And I cite Kurt Cobain for making me want to play. So both of those two go very hand in hand because they both kind of played very similarly. So um, I guess you could call me an old school punk rocker, you know, like, or as old school as a 35 year old can be. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my usual musical background. But as I've gotten older, it's definitely progressed into more intricate uh, music. So uh, who were you in bands or were you mostly <laughs> just playing by yourself? Or how did that go? Yeah, um, the, I've been in probably, you know, like everybody, you know, you're in a band for six months and then you get in a fight with your best friend and we're not in a band anymore. Um, <laughs> I was actually in a touring band. Uh, one of those bands, we actually toured the Southeast um, and we did about 15 shows in four states. So I mean, and when I say shows, I mean, like I was playing at the Dew Drop Inn off Exit 12 in Gainesville, Florida. It wasn't like I was playing the Masquerade. <laughs> I wasn't playing the, you know, the Whiskey A Go Go. I was playing places that they had no idea who we were. We would just stop into town and say, "Can we play?" And it was usually met with a lot of resistance. We couldn't pick the bars very well. So, uh, yeah, it, that was uh, the the funny story of being on tour was the fact that nobody really wanted us there. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I liken it to when the Sex Pistols first toured America. They had to put the chicken wire in front of the stage to keep people from throwing glass bottles at them. Right, right. Yeah. You were kind of, you more just like infiltrated the stage more so than being invited on it. We we invaded more bars than we were invited to. So <laughs> the, the invasion, and at, the, at that time, I think the band was called Foundation, which... We took the name from a skateboard logo who is still in existence, Foundation I, Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And we tweaked the logo to make it look like a pill rather than the circle F. So we called it the Foundation Acid Pill was our logo, but just a bunch of teenagers, you know, what do you know, you know? Um, but yeah, at that time, Foundation probably got kicked out and asked not to return to more bars than uh, people wanted us at. So. <laughs> Was this like loud, angry punk rock stuff, I'm assuming? Oh, sure. Um, three chord, four count. You know, the drummer knew two beats at the time. One of them was the four count beat. So, yeah, it was like you couldn't tell the song ended until one of the guys said one, two, three, four. Right. It's one of those things. It was <laughs> like the Ramones on a much more stripped down scale, if you can even imagine that. Yeah, I, I can. I can relate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> that's that's funny 
what were what were you playing in that band since we're talking gear so um at that time i was playing i had moved past the fender strat squire i'm a left-handed player first off so i had to get what was available to me in a very small town yes so at that time i had an epiphone sg standard not even like the I had the base model epiphone SG. right so, uh, and, and Epiphone's are great brands. I love Epiphone. Um, but yeah, I, I think at that time I was playing a uh, Epiphone SG. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. What, what kind of amp setup do you remember? Jeez, uh, man. A, oh God, the PV 12 inch. I forget the, I forget the model, but it was a PV like Audition 12. Okay. So we actually had to mic it to the house PA system to get it. Because if you play you know, a 12 inch amp in a bar, you're not going to hear Jack. So, um, we had to also go around that way. So there's a lot of like, you know, reverberation going from the, you know, the horrible PV amp to the crappy house mic. So it was just, it was a nightmare from start to finish. It sounds like a good time though. <laughs> oh, fantastic time. I would go back and do that again in a second. If knowing what I know now, I would do that in a hot flash, man. That would be, oh, that would be so much fun. We always had, um, fantasies of doing that when I was, you know, growing up and in bands, but we never actually went and did anything like we wanted to, we talked about it a lot. We talked about like taking over, like I, and this, this is a stupid idea, but this was our theory. We We were like, We'll pack everything up and we'll just drive around the, you know, the West coast and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll find like random state parks and we'll just plug in and start rocking. <laughs> it was like, that's an idiotic idea, but we thought it was a good one for, for a while though. We never did actually try it. But, so uh, to, to further paint the picture, I've always been very tall for my age and I've always had facial hair. So at 17 years old, I was six foot four and I had the Scott Ian from anthrax uh, the Amish goatee, as it were. Right, right. So I, I was this giant with this mangy goatee, so I look like I belong in the bar. The other members of my band, who were 16 through 18, looked very childlike. So it looked like this weird old man had kidnapped three kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have a July birthday, so I was the youngest of the group. Um, or I was one of the youngest of the group. So I would walk in, hi, my name's Andrew, we're with Foundation, we'd like to play your bar. Great setup, and then kids come in carrying like drums and basses. It's what? Like I just tricked them into letting minors like you know so this total like <laughs> mind trip. Like the Partridge family get kidnapped by Charles Manson. I think <laughs> is probably what it looked like to most people. <laughs> oh, that's a really funny image that I'm picturing right now because I know what you look like, and now I'm just picturing the. <laughs> <laughs> well, t- time wasn't very good to me back then. It really isn't that good to me now. So, you know, I get by on my sense of humor. Luckily, I've been engaged for, for quite some time, so the missus is okay with how I look. But, yeah, yeah, I get by on my sense of humor is what I tell the ladies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally, for me, it's my amazing guitar abilities. That's how I, yeah, that's See? totally how I get by. I don't even have that. You've seen the videos I post on Instagram. I don't even have amazing guitar ability, so I'm glad she likes me because if it were for musical talent, I would be broke and probably homeless, man. Well, I'm totally lying. I don't have any amazing guitar abilities. I'm looking for them, but uh, I, I can't seem to. I can't seem to locate them. 
It's well, a, you have a lot of gear, and that helps, you know. So it 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 it, it helps you sound good. That could be part of the reason. Maybe yeah. I'm just like, if I throw more gear at it, it's bound to fix it. It it just has to. It has to. See, I'm about to name drop here. It's all my pure Salem guitars that make me sound a lot better than what I can actually play. There's a gratuitous name drop for you there. Hey, what's up, Rick? How you doing, man? <laughs> Rick's, Rick's been on the show. He, yeah, oh, yeah. He, he's a good, good dude. So, Oh, yeah, for sure, man. I love Rick. Good thing. Good stuff, man. Yeah, he's a, yeah, that must be for him to start that company and then a few other ones like Eastwood and some of the other ones kind of starting to produce cooler, more accessible you know, lines for uh, left-handed players, you know, that's something I, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely took a, um, took for granted being a righty. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. uh, I can get whatever I want. Well, that's not the case for you guys. So, so here's the thing. And I hate guitar center with a passion. Some people like it. Some people don't. I always go to the mom and pop shops. You walk into guitar center, you have your choice of guitars Gibson, Ibanez, Fender, Epiphone, whatever you want, PRS. Mm-hmm. I, what, my favorite joke to do anytime I'm in a new guitar center, I go up to the most inexperienced guitar salesman, 18-year-old Johnny. I'm like, hey, man, where's your left-handed section? And watch the befuddled face of him searching that <laughs> giant wall of guitars, trying to find the two Fender Squires they have. Right. <laughs> so so that's always our lot in life. So you know, when, when people like Pure Salem came around and even – probably the companies before him who were also very left-handed uh, perceptive. Um, I, I owe Rick a steak dinner, man, because what he makes for us lefties is phenomenal. Well, yeah. And then, well, cause he's, he's uh, had to deal with that himself. He's a left-handed sure. player yeah. also. So I was just like yeah. the, I, I can understand why they don't make very many left-handed guitars. Like, I mean, well, smaller, there's not that many of those. Yeah, yeah, smaller market. Mm-hmm. I, I get it, but what what kind of drives me crazy when I got to thinking about it was why are you charging more for a left-handed guitar? It's not that difficult. Like, I mean, I know it, it from a production standpoint when you're producing thousands and thousands of instruments. Yeah, it's there's a there's a lot of factors that go into there, but it can't be two hundred, three hundred more dollars worth of effort to make a left-handed guitar. It, and they don't just... even put left-handed knobs on it. They they still like, so my thing was so I got my first proper lefty and it was a Epiphone ES three thirty five. Nice. What I call a proper one. It's yeah, it was about four hundred bucks. Anyway, it has right-handed knobs. For me to turn it all the way down, the volume's on ten. If I want to right. turn it all the way up, the volume's on zero. I hate that. So the attention to detail with with what you know Pure Salem is doing for the lefties. Dude, he's he's a saint to me. Yeah, how many of his guitars do you have right now? Uh, currently three. Um, I'm eyeballing the Cardinal next. That Cardinal and a left-handed, and I think the La Flaca is what I want next. Um, I'm I'm I've turned into an avid collector, and I really have him to thank for my poverty now. I'm really <laughs> I'm really running stone picks just to collect Pure Salem guitars. So. He ha- anybody who's bought a pick from me, your money is in Rick's hands. So, well, that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> if you want to buy a pick in the future, just give him the money, you know, and, and tell me what you want, and I'll send it off. And as soon as I have enough, he will give me a new guitar. You know? <laughs> it's just a funnel directly into the Pure Salem. Uh, it's an fund. indentured. It's an indentured business. I don't know if, if if that's a thing or not, but it probably is. 
It is now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I mean, the Tone Mob, yeah, it just exists to uh, fund my fuzz addiction. That's that's oh, it. Sure. You, I mean, that's the only reason. It's doing so a terrible. Of, it's doing a terrible job of it. By the way, it's not so, funding the so fuzz addiction of, at all. <laughs> let's talk for a second about Jack Deville. Okay. That fuzz wami pedal. Mm-hmm. I got it in this afternoon about nice. ten, 10 minutes before this this interview here, and I love you to death, Blake. But this interview cannot be over fast enough. I'm dying to plug <laughs> that pedal in. Um, Service was spot on, man. I ordered that thing on Thursday night, and we are across the nation. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. You guys are up in Portland and, and the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Thursday Thursday night, that thing got to me today, Monday, for all those listening at home who don't currently know what day it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so literally just a week. He must have known I was going to order it because it was like that fast. Well, he... Um... His service has always been, that's part of what, I mean, besides the fact that he, uh, he makes great pedals and we're, uh, we're talking about, uh, Jack DeVille who I've talked about on the show many times. He, um, for those who don't know, he runs Mr. Black pedals and just recently launched a new brand called, uh, Friday Club pedals. And, uh, we did a little promo, um, a few uh, days ago, actually, I almost said week, but a few days ago and Andrew jumped on it. So anyway, he makes great stuff. And the the reason I started getting involved in his products were I bought a pedal used, his Eterna Reverb, and I got it home. It sounded great. Everything was fine. Everything was dandy. And then a week later, it was having some intermittent problems. Mm-hmm. And so I email the customer service, and I'm like, hey, look, I bought this used. Um, I totally get if I need to pay for it to get it fixed, but I need to get it fixed. I want it to work, you know? Uh, and he's like, yeah, send it in. We'll figure out what's, what's up with it. So not only does he, he, uh, the problem was intermittent, so it wasn't doing it when it got to him. Um, he, not only did he just replace the guts just because he's like, ah, well, I couldn't find anything wrong with it, but I replaced the guts of it for you. So, and that, and then he sends me a t-shirt and I don't pay for any of it. And I didn't even buy the pedal from him. So, see, now that's customer service. That really is customer service. Yeah, and long story short, I own like six pedals that I did buy from him now because of that. So, yeah, uh, yeah, the the guy doesn't mess around. He he runs his he you know he runs his business the right way. So, and really, that's what I try doing with stone picks too. I know these things are made out of stone, and I know if you drop a piece of rock from five feet and it lands on concrete, it's going to break. Um, and I've had people, you know, message me or direct message me, uh, dude, my, my pick broke. What should I do? And it's always give me your address. I'll get another one out to you. I don't care. Here you go. Um, and more often than not, I give people my cell phone number because I want them to know that they can not only just email me, but if you want to shoot me a text, like, let me know. Um, so I really try to go above and beyond, you know, just to let people know that not only do I appreciate their business, but you know, I'm going to make it right. So, you know, uh, stone is a very fickle material, uh, depending on the stone you use for picks. So, um, you know, we've, you know, kind of found out which stones work and which stones don't. So just kind of one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, the different varieties. So I have one from you 
that I've been really enjoying, but I can't remember what uh, what stone material it is. In fact, I'm not sure if you ever produced these ones for sale. Um, the yellowish looking stone that is not polished because it's so porous. What, it's what a was very, that? Uh, I called that one the Goldie. That one was, um, that's called sandstone or that's a sandstone substrate. Gotcha. Sands, sandstone itself is very brittle, but when you do something called agatizing, which is infusing it with crystalline and all this other stuff, it, it makes it solid. So we took a bunch of sandstone and agatized it. And uh, we found that it was still rough with texture. And I almost didn't put that pick out because the number one question that I get is, will that break my string? No stone picks won't break your strings. But when I got it back, it almost felt like playing with sandpaper. And I wasn't a fan of the texture, but I found out that people seem to really love it. So it was just kind of one of those one-off happy accidents that, that, that happened. That's me. Uh, I'm one of those people. Uh, I love that pick, and I was playing with it uh, uh, last night, actually. And and my friends came over, and we were playing with it. And I'm like, I don't remember if Andrew made these permanent or not. And because they were all like, this pick is awesome. This is one of the coolest sounding ones that you have. I'm like, I know. I love the Goldie. <laughs> it's so good. So... Yeah, I've now well, there's my answer. I was curious. I couldn't yeah, yeah. remember what that was. So you literally have a diamond in the rough. I think I only made about 20 of those. And I gave a few to the Van Leers, um, a band that you know I sponsor. Um, but I, I pretty much chucked the rest of them out of stupidity. I kind of wish now that I would have put those up for sale because everybody seemed to really like them. I, I think the roughness uh, is what I personally like about them. Yeah. Um, on on the various stones i've told you before when they start wearing down a little bit once you first get them and you've played mm -hmm. with them for a little while they develop this this rough edge to them and you get all these extra um high-end harmonics that i'm just like that's what made me fall in love with with it as a pick material was those extra high-end harmonics so yeah i'm just saying if you make some more goldies you, you're going to have a couple few customers headed your way, ready to ready for the goldies. Well, I'll tell you what, with the next batch that I have coming up, um, well, actually, I should say the batch after the next batch because the next one's already in production. Um, I, I'll see if I'll see if my, my the guy who runs the, the rock yard has any more of that gold sandstone. I'll cut you about 10 of them out and send them to you. Oh, that'd be phenomenal. That would be yeah, amazing. Man. Love yeah, no those doubt. things. So, anyway... Well, let's talk some more about the stones since you've done some experimenting and and a lot of people probably aren't familiar with it as a pick material. Um, what is it that you like most about it? Because I think we might have like slightly different opinions on what we like about the various stones. So the reason why I like stone picks has compared to really any other pick material. I won't say celluloid. I hate celluloid picks just because the way that I play, I break them. Um, so I play bass heavy. I always play, you know, with the neck pickup. I turn the bass all the way up. I play with fuzz. I try to get that sludge sound. So when you do a downstroke, which is the Johnny Ramone method, the downstroke playing with the bass heavy guitar, it makes it sound like a repetitive punch to the face. Now, there are more intricate players like Dylan Witherow, also up there in the Pacific Northwest, He's um, phenomenal. 
Yes. So what he does is he goes for the exact opposite. He goes for for very bell ringy, bright, ambient tones. And it works for him too. But the reason why I like them so much is that it just gives it that punch. There's a, there's a definite attack to the strings that uh, with other uh, materials you just can't get. <coughs> oh, sorry. I had, <clears throat> I literally had something like a hair or something just jump in my throat. That was really cool. <laughs> uh, Outstanding. This is almost as good of, uh, as you know, I almost said radio, but it's not radio. It's almost as good a listening as the time when I was talking to Jason Banning, who runs Banning Guitars. And some people rem remember, as I was talking to him, I almost fell into a trash can. So that was uh, <laughs> the level of professionalism I strive for on the Tone Mob podcast is uh, very high, as you can hear. Oh, so, oh for sure, yes. Yes, so well, that was cool to get. I, yeah, it was a hair. It was definitely a hair, and that was... Uh, sure. That was a pleasant experience for me. Hey, so, man, <laughs> you live to tell the tale. That's what counts. Barely. Barely. Yeah. I was like, I got to say something. There's dead air. I can't talk. <laughs> this would have been really awkward had you would have died during the interview. Like, I was just like, so now let's, <laughs> let's go to commercial. <laughs> Ty, Ty with a traffic cam. What's going on? <sighs> That's a, you know. <laughs> I need to get somebody that can, like, take, you know that can take over for me when I do things like fall into trash cans and try to eat my own hair. I need to have somebody I can cut to and be like, and coming up soon, you know, sort of thing. I need, I need a, I need a wingman on the show. I, I think they call that a sponsor, you know, like, <laughs> or a chaperone or something. I don't know. A sponsor. I, I do sponsorships, but they're always at the beginning of the episode. Maybe I need to start inserting them into the middle when I fail. I'll, I'll cut to a sponsorship spot. That's funny. Because <laughs> that makes for a really good conversation that everyone wants to listen to. Or if you could edit in the Benny Hill song, like while this is all going on. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a good plan. I'm going to bring you on as a consultant, as a podcast consultant. We can really, we can make some good, uh, good content together. This has gone away from an interview, and now we're just planning other shows. People are listening to like us planning future podcasts. This is the most <laughs> random interview I've ever done. This is great. I think I said, um, I, I'm trying to remember who it was I was talking to. I, oh, I think it was uh, Brian from Small Sound, Big Sound. I think I said, if I started a food podcast, then we might have actually talked about guitar gear a little bit, which is very true. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this, man. So, so out of okay. all the gear that you have, what is your favorite guitar? My my favorite guitar? Oh boy. Yeah. Um well, that's definitely going to be as uh, some of the listener, listeners already know about would be my Les Paul Jr. Mm -hmm. Um I've talked about it a few times, but that was a, that's my uh, 55 Les Paul Jr. that belonged to my grandfather. So Very nice. Very that, nice. That is definitely my number 1. Um I, do, I, I got a guitar coming my way, which I'm super... Actually, I have two guitars coming my way, but one of them is coming much sooner. And this is going to be all new territory for me. Um, I've never played or owned a guitar like this before, but it is a baritone 7-string. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a Roni, so mm -hmm. you, know, you know it's going to be good. And sure. it, it looks incredible. And... I started talking to Paul, and he's like, I got this guitar, 
and you know, it's not really what I do anymore. And I was like, oh, fine, Paul, just give it to me. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're going to twist my arm, I mean, I'll take it, of course. Right. He's, he's in the middle of building my Oceana right now. And, you know, I've been, you know, feeding him dollars on it as I have dollars available. And, you yeah. know, he's just, you know, works on it, you know, as I give him money, basically. And it's almost done. And I was like, well, tell you what, uh, give you the, give you, I guess we can start another fund for the seven string. <laughs> so, so See, yeah, it's on, a, it's, that'll be on its way relatively soon because that guitar's already done. Since I'm a very stripped down and very non-technical guitar player, when I see people play seven-string guitar, it, it it's like watching somebody speak Russian and Italian. It's like, <laughs> like what is the thought process? Because I barely understand the scale of a guitar, and I've been playing for 20 years. I only know G, C, D, A, D, E, So when I see right. somebody doing like a seven-string, and they're like riffing on a seven-string, I'm like your mind is on a whole nother plane of existence right now. It's like there's well, cats that play eight string basses. Like, why do you need that many? You know, like, <laughs> I, I honestly, I can't speak to it at all because I've, I've, this will be the first time I've ever owned one. I'm like researching, like, he's like, how do you want me to set it up for you? Like tuning wise. And I'm like researching. Cause I don't know. I'm like, yeah. I, I could just go with standard seven string tuning, which is just, mm -hmm. you know, adding a, a low B and, and that would be fine. But I'm like, the whole reason that I, my interest was peaked in it is because my band and, and my bandmates and me we were jamming some songs last time we practiced, and we had our standard six strings tuned all the way down to drop A. And it played like garbage because the strings are flopping around, you know, like... Scraping against the pickups <laughs> and all that. Yeah, I mean, it, they sounded really, really cool. But yeah. it but it played horribly. It was just like playing with spaghetti, you know, just like blah blah blah. It just was just noodling around. It just was horrible. But um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that is what piqued my interest in extended range guitars because I was like, I really liked how that sounded, and I want to uh, want to explore this a little further. So I'm trying to figure out how to set it up. I don't. I'm not sure. I might have him set it up drop A. We'll we'll see. I've been experimenting with this new tuning style that uh, I haven't heard anybody else do yet. It's very innovative. It's called drop D tuning. Oh, drop D. Yes, and no <laughs> no no one does that. <laughs> Never heard of another person doing that. I I'm, I like to think that I'm the innovator of the uh, drop D tuning. So um yeah, so I've been experimenting well with that. the uh, the Andrew tuning. Yes, yes. The, the, the stone picks tune is what I'm calling it now. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be the first guy ever to really mess with the drop D tuning. And I got to tell you, man, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. So uh, <laughs> so if anybody needs you know help to uh, tune their guitar to drop D, just let me know. I, I can send it to you. It's, it's fine. Well, I'll share you know my what? secrets. People should just send you their guitars and you'll tune it up for them and then send it back to them. And one out of ten I'll keep because it'll be the one lefty that they sent me. I'm like, I don't know what happened. I guess I got lost in shipping. Jeez, I'm sorry, man. You know, whatever. New I'll send you a pick. <laughs> yeah. Here's a, here's a pick to replace the guitar that the post office quote unquote stole. <laughs> yes. Oh, good times. Good times. You do, just do gave you, me a new idea. Fantastic. Do you play a lot of drop D? Like, I, I um, don't know if I've seen you play drop D. Um, I have my 335 uh, set to drop D. The pure Salem's I keep to E. Um, and the, 
I don't know why I chose the 335 to do drop D. I don't know. I guess that was just the guitar I picked up when I decided to mess around with a different tune or something. I don't know. Um, so yeah, it, there, there's really no rhyme or reason to why I chose the, uh, the 335, but yeah, one of them is, uh, actually the, I posted a video today of the Westminster effects, uh, pedal that he did for me. And that one was in drop D. Was that the, uh, that, um, kind of eight bit sounding pedal that he did for you? No, no. Okay. So he did another one for me. Um, and I really, I, I requested this pedal specifically. Um, it's a tap tremolo delay reverb pedal. Oh, and that's two, right. Two I'm... switches. Um, and I wanted to start experimenting with like ambient notes, even though the video I posted didn't express that. Um, so I'm trying to get myself out of the straight up punk rock mentality. Um, so I requested a pedal that I never would have bought independently. I never would have gone to Sam's music shop and go, give me that pedal. Um, so Cody is phenomenal, by the way. If you ever want a weird one-off pedal, commission him to make it for you. He does fantastic work. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So this Another is a shameless plug, yes. Uh, hey, hey, everybody loves good gear, so they're, they're, that's a good thing to plug. Mm -hmm. So it's a, let me see if I had this straight. It's a tap, tremolo, reverb, delay, all in one unit? Is the or how how is that? I'm not. I have not seen this video you posted yet, so I'm very curious how that how that works. Yeah, it's all in one unit. It has two foot switches. One of them is the trim. One of them is the reverb, and it has like twenty thousand knobs on it. Which I'll be darned if I know what those knobs do yet, <laughs> <laughs> because like I said, I, that's not my wheelhouse. But I've been kind of you know monkeying around with it for the past like two days now, and every time I turn a knob, I find a new setting where it's like. Yes, now I can do this one thing that I wrote a year ago and make it sound good. So endless gotcha. possibilities within this one within this one pedal. Um, he really knocked that one out of the park. Um, but yeah, now I'm quite pleased with that one, and I'm actually going to commission another one from him fairly soon. Oh, very nice. What is yeah. uh, what's that going to be? Well, you know, since I, I got the Big Muff and since I got the Furry Burrito by yet another name drop, Yellow yes. uh, yellow Gig Pedals. Yes, uh, Ryan's is an awesome guy. Yeah, and after I got that Fuzz Wami, I'm now starting to collect fuzz. Ray Gun Effects in England are sending me an Octafuzz. And so I'm commissioning, I'm trying to tell Cody to, to run wild with it. Just make me a fuzz that's not like everything else. So we, we kind of kicked around some ideas and he, you know has his sight set on a few tweaks to the fuzz um, circuit, but the next one's going to be a fuzz of some type. So I don't know if it's an octave, octave up fuzz or what, but it's going to be pretty, pretty rad. So. Just letting him run wild. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, me being, you know, an artist, um, a graffiti artist and, and all this, I really like it when people don't tell, don't restrict the artist to what they want. When I get that eight bit pedal, I was like, dude, you know, because my name is 8-Bit in Atlanta. That's my graffiti name is 8-Bit. Essentially, what I do is I rip off Space Invader. I do tile graffiti art. Um, so I told him I wanted an 8-Bit pedal, kind of running on the Arcadiator platform, but he made some modifications to it. And that pedal is amazing. God, do I love that thing. That thing sounds really, really cool. I've, I've yeah. Uh... I've done a little bit of digging on it and uh, seen some of the stuff you posted. And yeah, I really, 
I really dig that a lot. That's something I need to start getting into. Uh, been really curious about um, not digital distortion in the way that where that's trying to emulate an amp because uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to quite work out very well just yet until you talk start talking about super high end units um, like fractal and things like that. I'm more talking about like digital distortion in like I don't know if you've seen the WMD stuff or not but it's like bit crusher type things kind of like your pedal um yes. like like just glitchy hor- like quote unquote horrible sounding you mm-hmm. know distor- digital distortion it it's just like super interesting to me and I, it's not well, something I've played with well in the deconstruction of of music um people always want to go with the refined and polished pedal if you know how to play a pedal that can just sound like a garbage can being rattled with, you know, rocks, you can do some amazing things with it. So I kind of dig that that pedal is glitchy and it's very, it's not refined. It's not a polished pedal. You have to find that sweet spot and stay there. So it, 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 it keeps you on your toes. You know, people rely on the safety of, oh, this is a polished pedal. This, you know, it'll make me sound like Jimmy Page or, you know, like, well, or... Robert Plant, which one was he? Yeah, Jimmy Page. Yeah, that's it. It'll make you sound like the singer. What? No, yep. always get those cats confused. Um, <laughs> this guitar sounds just like Robert Plant. It'll make you sound like Mick Jagger. That that's what it'll do. No, um, so to get a to get a pedal that you you're not fully aware of its capabilities, it kind of makes you think in like what you're doing. So that eight bit, it definitely uh, it definitely has some glitches to it, but. I've learned to work with them. So it's definitely, you know, it'll keep you on your toes when you're playing for sure. Nice. Nice. Good times. Good times. Well, I love that you're uh, getting, that you're getting a fuzz addiction because I have, I have one and it's a, you know, it's a, I accept it. It's something I I live with on a daily basis and it, it's, it's just, I've just found it best to uh, just embrace it and just let it happen. And, uh, and just, Keep buying fuzz pedals because it's good for you. It, it's it it hurts too much to try to ignore. So just 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 embrace it. One of the uh, better left-handed guitar players that I've ever seen is one Tony Iommi. Well, yes, um, and we all know who that is, and we all know where he came from. But um, so Black Sabbath had this really cool. Um, death fuzz to it when you hear it it's a combination of those thimbles that he had on his fingers mm-hmm. and the equipment that they had at the time so that super low-end bassy fuzz that just kind of makes you feel like the roof is about to fall off um that's what i go for and once you know you put that link up there to fuzz Wami and i i heard the negative creep version i'm like that's it yeah that's what i want so it's currently sitting on the bed in, in the room beside me, torturing me. I can hear it calling my name. Um, believe you me, shortly after this interview, I will be in there torturing the loved ones uh, with my uh, horrible playing. Well, let me tell you something about that pedal, uh, and the listeners too. Um, it has a lot of volume on tap. So start nice. with it all the way off and start gradually bring your volume up because if you start at noon it's going to blow your amp out of the room okay that's good to know because that's usually where i keep the volume and i usually rely on the guitar volume i usually like i'll I'll set the volume knob on most of my pedals at high noon 
just so I know that I can work around the volume knob on my guitar. So you're telling me to like put it at like zero. But <laughs> turn the volume off and just turn the volume on my guitar all the way up. I, I I'm no, I'm serious. Like yeah, crank your guitar volume and okay, and uh, you know turn the fuzz up. Uh, I I can't remember how that thing's labeled. It's not labeled normal, but the boom yeah. boom is the knob that is the volume knob. And okay. uh, start with that, honestly, all the way off, and just crack it open a little bit at a time, because it is ridiculously loud. There's, that will there's, help a lot. <laughs> there's, I'm not sure how many dB he actually you know, put in there, but it's, it's probably one of the loudest uh, pedals that, I've, that I have in my collection. So. I live in a townhouse in downtown Atlanta, so I'm sure the wall adjoining the bedroom where all my guitars are stored will also really appreciate that. So my neighbors also thank you for that bit of advice. <laughs> hey, uh, that's what I'm here. I'm here to, to spread information and fuzz. Outstanding, man. Um, so let me ask you this. So with your connections on Instagram and all the accounts that you've seen, you know, everybody and their brother does pedals. Guitars are coming out of the woodwork. There's now a lot of like pick makers out there. What are some like new inventive things for the guitar and gear community that you've come across that maybe not a lot of people know about? So there's something that just came out and I haven't got to put my hands on it yet, but it, I am told, I was told today that they're going to ship me one out to try and it's made by, um, um, just a second, the name will come to me, not analog, hologram, excuse me. I had to okay. yell about it when I, hologram electronics. I had to scream it from the mountaintops. Uh, yeah, hologram electronics, they're a very new company. They told me today they've been around for um, three weeks, grand wow. total. And, but the product they have has been in development for two years. And it is a, I'm not sure how, it does a lot of tricks. Um, they call it a, like, what do they call it? it? It'll do, like, octaves, modulation, uh, tremolo, um, you know, different intervals. It's like a, it's like a, gener like a, a sound generator. I don't even know how to describe this pedal. I've never seen anything that does this before, but it, it'll do like these rhythms. Uh, and so you'll say you play a chord and it'll generate like octaves, fifths, you know, thirds, different intervals based on how you program it in a rhythmic pattern. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to describe, but I highly suggest everybody go look up, yeah, Hologram uh, Electronics, and their pedal is called the Dream Sequence, and I'm not I'm doing a horrible job of describing what it does. <laughs> well, you're building mystery with the brand. Yes, people will go check it out just to find out what he was trying to say. I don't even know what it is I'm trying to say, but it does it does these um yeah it does these rhythmic sequences. It does so many things. That's the problem. Like it could be a straight ahead just tremolo if you want, or okay. it could be a full blown like octave up and octave down, you know, generator that just plays along with your signal. Or it can you know have the rhythms pulse after your chord. Or there's so many options on it. It was super super impressive. As a matter of fact, um, they're sold out right now. So 
(laughs) (laughs) Pointless plug, but nevertheless, get in on the next batch. Yeah, they're they're building the next batch right now, and uh, they sold out within like four days. That's, yeah. that's how crazy the video is. You go fire the video up, you'll go, oh, I get it. That's why everybody freaked out about it. Like, almost nobody knows about them, but yet they still managed to sell out all 50 units in like four or five days, I think. That's so. fantastic. Um, I came across this one. Okay, so, you know, a lot of boutique guitar people are coming out, a lot of pedal manufacturers, but there's only one person out there besides the original Gorilla Snot who are doing pick glue. And what it is, is it's for people who play with stone picks. They always say, well, you know, man, I always drop my pick when I play. Um, For those who haven't heard of Gorilla Snot, they were around back in like the 90s and you put this dab on your finger, then you hold your pick and it would literally hold the pick up on your finger. It's like glue, essentially. Um, Thus pick glue. Um, But I definitely suggest, you know, giving them a follow because I did this one. I took the heaviest stone that I had and I put a dab of glue on it, stuck my finger to the pick, and I held my finger up. That stuff will hold a stone to your finger. So it's the truth, man. If you have a problem holding on to picks, or you sweat when you play, or if the stage lighting is hot, pick glue will save your picks. It's fantastic. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that uh, that's uh, definitely something I could have used probably more in the past when I played <laughs> like more out more. Now everything I do is so like home-based and studio-based, I don't quite sweat as much as I used to. Um, Sure. But however, whenever we get together and practice, I've kind of told a couple people this, like we don't really gig out um, Mm -hmm. at bars or anything like that. But whenever we practice, it's like, it's basically like we are gigging out somewhere. It's essentially we're like doing a full gig because we bring all the, you know, our full rigs. Like it's, it's not, we don't have like little practice boards or something like it's whatever rig we're rocking, all three guitar players, we all have our full blown setups and (laughs) everything's mic'd up. Like it's like doing a live show every time we play. So that tends to get a little sweaty. And I'll have yeah, I was to, about uh, to say, you know, even if you're not gigging out, you know, most people's practice space is much smaller than it should be. Um, and I know every time I go to practice on the occurring time that we both have the days off, I'll go play with the drummer um, in the band that I've been with my whole life. Um, We're playing in essentially the big bedroom. So like you get two dudes in there just like thrashing around. This is going to sound really bad really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Two dudes thrashing around in a bedroom. Getting all sweaty. uh, Yeah, getting all sweaty and stuff. (laughs) But but you're playing in a very confined space. And even in the Georgia heat and humidity, or if you're just in a confined small practice space, the the need is still there, you know. You probably get sweaty enough just playing in the in the practice space. I mean, we do tend to get like pretty, or I say we. I tend to get pretty out of hand um, when I when I play. I get really into it sometimes, and sure. like to the point where it's like, dude, you're not on stage like performing. Like, s- settle down. Well, I'll be like on the <laughs> gr- like on the ground like. Like on my knees, like banging my head, like yeah, woo, like rocking out, like I should be on stage, you know, performing for people. But really, it's just me and the dudes, and they're like, "What are you doing? Like, are you doing the Angus Young spinning around on the floor while you're playing your solo?" I did do that at uh, Battle of the Bands in in high school. I did spin around the floor, uh, 
like I looked like a, I didn't look nearly as cool as Angus, but I did it. So, <laughs> and I yeah, I actually I I have done that a few times. I, yeah, I get really out of hand really quick. That's just kind of what I do. That's where being six foot four really comes into a problem because I'll start kicking the drums, I'll knock the bass player over, I'll start kicking the PA. Like if I do that, the the stage is wrecked. So I I can't do that, but. And also playing in a 10 by 10 room. Yeah. You tend to knock some things over if you're six foot, you know? So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm only five, seven, so I can, I got all kinds of room. Oh, sure. You can sprawl out, man. Yeah. Thrash I, about. I get spread Eagle and then I'm not, I'm still tiny, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh man. Good times. Good times. Yes, sir. So, that was I was I was starting to think about something earlier, and we went off on a tangent. But you were talking about um, Black Sabbath and and their sound, um, mm-hmm. which you really like that guitar sound. I would almost peg you for listening to like Doom and Stoner stuff occasionally, like like Sleep or High on Fire or some of those other bands that are just like tuned low, playing slow. Mm-hmm. I would. Is that something you've ever got into? Oh, for sure. Uh, there's a great band here in Atlanta. Um, if if you you know, uh, go on YouTube and look up Laser Wolf. L A Z R. That's a great name. L F. Yeah. Oh, dude, they're phenomenal. It's a three piece uh, instrumental band. I do like the Doom and Gloom uh, prong uh, mm-hmm. tunes real low. Uh, Helmet did. Helmet was more on the the high side of it. But what's another one? A Witchcraft. Um, Orange Goblin. I'm like naming off all these obscure, like even, well, not ghost BC because they're not sludge, but no, I love sludge. I think, you know, the sludge metal, um, or stoner metal, I guess the re the rebirth of the Sabbath esque sounds, dude, I'm getting into a lot of that. Uh, And it's great that people are paying homage to the people who really paved the way for them to, to do what they do. Um, I always go back to the first time any musical genre happened. Like, you know, there's that scene in Back to the Future where Marty McFly starts playing Johnny B. Good and he picks up the phone. Hey, "Hey, Chuck, it's your cousin Marv. Dude, listen to this. Um, So I wonder what happened the first time Black Sabbath took the stage because nobody did that before. Well, in Agata DeVita, kind of. But, um, you know, when, when Sabbath took the stage, I'm sure people's jaws hit the floor. They're like, you can do this? Right. Oh my God. So, you know, with, with the, the, the sludge metal that's coming out now, it's like, I'm sure they understand the sheer oddity of what it was before. Um, cause people were listening to like John Denver and, um, like very happy music. And then six months later, <laughs> black Sabbath happened. It's like black Sabbath just wrecked your whole town with one album. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, that would have been an interesting, like, it would have been int- really interesting back then, and I'm sure there's people listening that know exactly what I'm talking about. But I'm a whippersnapper, so uh, I uh, I'm just picturing like the first time, not even seeing them live, but like, hmm, who is this Black Sabbath? I wonder what they sound like, and hearing that come out of the speakers and being sure. like, what the like? I don't know what's going on right now, but I like it, or I'm what? terrified, or I don't know. I have all these mixed emotions. When they crash into war pigs, you're just like, whoa, that just <laughs> happened. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And so that was, to me, that was the first time, uh, the, the first occurrence when that happened in my mind as a 15 year old boy 
watching Beavis and Butthead, uh, the ACDC Highway to Hell came, uh, video came on. Mm-hmm. And seeing Angus Young's little midget self doing his Chuck Berry march across the stage and just ripping this solo from start to finish. I'm like, this guy's having an aneurysm right now, and he is just rocking out. So to me, that that aha moment came the first time I ever saw ACDC. And since then, I was hooked. And that's, you know, it's a little bit different sound, but, you know, kind of going from here to there. But yeah, that aha moment came when I was like, oh my God, you can do that? That's amazing. Right. Yeah. So what what was the first band that you you like popped their CD or their whatever, however, whatever format it was you listened to them on that you just, you plugged them in, <laughs> kind of no preconceived notions and just went, whoa. Perfect. Okay, so uh, the drummer in the band, my best friend since we were five, Brent Brookins. Uh, there was a used CD store downtown Milledgeville, Georgia, where I grew up, called the Lizard King. Obviously, the guy was a hippie. He wanted to name it after the doors. Um, but we would go in there with our allowance, and we had a bet every week when we went in there who could find the most screwed up band name. Um, and he found Rich Kids on LSD. Great, great punk band from back in that time. But I found the Flaming Lips. Ah, so I found their album Planes, Trains, and Brains, or something. Or no, 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 no. Here it is. H e a r. Here it is. Oh right. And so I, I plugged in the Here It Is album from Flaming Lips, and I'm like, this isn't like like this is an alternative. This isn't grunge. Like, what are you calling this? And up until Yoshimi Battles of the Pink Robots, I was a huge fan of theirs. And then Wayne Coyne went off the deep end, and I'm like. <laughs> okay, I can no longer keep up with you, man. You're just you're on another pl- plane of existence. So to me, the first time that happened really was when we would have our weekly contest, and I found that Flaming Lips CD. That's awesome. That's a yeah. I that's a band that uh, I I only ever started listening to them after you know like they got really really weird, and yeah. I didn't really I I, didn't, I say I started listening to them. That's when I became aware of them. And mm-hmm. so I kind of went, oh, this isn't really for me. Um, I'm either not weird enough or not smart enough to know what's going on here. <laughs> um, and so I didn't really, I was like, ah, oh, those guys are talented, but not for me. And then I keep hearing people bring up their older stuff and be like, oh, no, no, you got to listen to the old Flaming Lips. It's right up your alley. I'm like, okay, oh. I'm going to have to re- revisit and, and investigate. So two of the best grunge albums of that time frame were Cloud's Taste Metallic and Transmissions from the Satellite Heart. Um, those two Flaming Lips albums right there are really some of their best work. Um, Transmissions from the Satellite Heart has that song, She Don't Use Jelly. That was their famous hit, the one that got them on MTV. Mm-hmm. But there are so many killer songs. Like Transmissions will change the way you think about the Flaming Lips. Well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to dig in, so I know what I'll be firing up for my my long drive home. I'll be uh, oh, hitting up sure, some man. some flaming lips. But and speaking of that, isn't that really cool? About I mean, it's good and bad in some ways. But like for a music nerd, has there ever been a better time to be around? Because I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna fire up my Apple Music service and t- listen to this thing that I never have heard before, and it's in my hand. You know. Exactly. Okay, so we had to make mix CDs in, in the 90s. Yep. We had to like come up with all of our favorite tunes, put them on there, and then we had to have that CD booklet full of like 75 of our mixtapes or our mix of CDs. 
And then, you know, streaming music happened and it's all like, oh, somebody told you about a band. Boom, I have their entire catalog. Um, I don't know if it's good for the band as far as like payment or royalties that's, or how they get paid. But yeah, that's what I was talking about, the bad part. They don't, they get paid, but it's minuscule. This is why I love Radiohead. Do you know what they do? Uh, I know what they did with In Rainbows. Are they continuing to do that? Yeah, I think they're pretty much doing that from now on. They're basically circumventing the uh, record label altogether. They put their album up on their website and say, hey, man, if you want to donate five, ten bucks, whatever, man. So you could literally, I think it's like, it, I don't know if there's a minimum. So you could get a Radiohead album for like $3. Right. Yeah, it's like, give us something and we'll give you the album. It's well, better it, than being, huh? Wasn't in Rainbows, didn't they put it up like for free? And if you like it, you can pay us. If not, then whatever type of thing. Something like that. I, I think it was. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I, I think I gave them $7 for it just because of the big middle finger to the record label. I'll say, too, just because you have the stones to do that, Tom York, here's some money. Right. Um, and I don't even think I, I finished listening to the album. I need to really get back there and do that because they're a great band. But um, yeah, so, you know, like, so with, you know, Apple Music and, and all this other stuff, it, there really is no better time to dig deep or even stuff that you used to like back in the day that isn't made anymore. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I keep doing that in a big way with like some of these bands that I used to be obsessed with. Yeah. And some of them I went back and went, oh, I don't know why I listened to them, but some of them I went back and it was like, oh, yeah, I forgot this album completely jams. So in the 90s, uh, grunge, of course, was the rage. Um, there was a band that got overlooked so hard, and they were one of the best bands ever. I told you about it one time. The band's called Far. F-A-R. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, the album Tin Can with Strings to You. If you're able to find that album, I had to buy it on eBay. I bought the CD just so I could have the hard copy. I wore out two versions of that CD as a kid, and I forgot about it for like a decade. And I was like, man, Far used to rule. But they never got the shake that, you know, the other bands that were coming up around them did. I don't even think they had a hit. I heard about them on college radio down in BFE, Central Georgia. But I was like, man, you know, like these guys slayed it. So far, if you can find the album Tin Can with Strings to You, buy it, download it. I found it on eBay for seven bucks. It's worth the money to get that CD. Yeah, I I remember you telling me about that and I tried to find them and I was like, well, they're not even on iTunes, like, but but they weren't unknown. Like, I could find a little bit of information here about them, but as far as trying to track down that particular album, I could find other ones, just not yeah. that one. Water and Solutions, or Water Soluble Solutions, or something, is their second album, and that's on YouTube. You can look up the whole album. That one was good too, but um, yeah, I, f- I had to relegate to buying the CD off eBay from like Music Go Round or something like that, a, a UCD store. Right. Yeah. But why? I'm trying to remember why we were talking about them. It was. Oh, um, when when you told me, you know, you sent me the link to your band, and you were like, "Dude, check this song out." And I was listening oh, to that song. Right. I'm like, "Yeah, it sounded almost. It wasn't like structurally the same, but I could hear bits of far in it." I was like, "Man, you guys sound like far." So <laughs> if That's I'm ever right. in the Pacific Northwest and I see, you know, you guys are playing a show, I'm coming just for that one song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember which track that was that was up. I. Can't remember either, yeah. It's on. It's on iTunes. It's on. It's on all the spots now. I think that was before the album was actually out, quote unquote, officially. Yeah. Uh, so, 
Uh, for everyone listening, if you care, my band's called Anchor Ashore, and we did an album <laughs> in 2015, and uh, you can listen to it on all your regular digital music platforms. Let me know what you think. We put a lot download of time into Download the album it. on iTunes, man. Blake needs some money, man. Download the album. He gets like 50 cents from iTunes. Download it, man. Get, <laughs> l- l- let's pay the artist. Let's pay the artist. Yes, iTunes will give him a penny. Come on, man. Get, well, get where the album. well, where that money will go, and I'm totally okay with it, because he put in more work than any. Uh, my friend Leon, he uh, that's where the money will go because he set the account up. Um, so, but that's okay because he mixed it. He by far put in more work than any of us did. Uh, so yeah. that's okay with me. And really, just supporting, like you know, uh, I'm sure up there in the Pacific Northwest, it's the same as it is here. And there's a lot of major cities that that hold this mentality: support your local blank. Um, when we go out to eat, we don't eat at Longhorn or O'Charlie's. We go to the mom and pop restaurants. When I buy music, I don't go to, well, shoot, I go to like, we have great record stores here. Wuxtries, Criminal Records. If I want to buy something, I'm going there. So support your local artists, man. Support small business. You know, a band like you and a band like everybody else who's listening to this is really just doing it for the art. You know, making money on it is a bonus. We're not expecting to make money. So, yeah, support, you know, like buy the album for nine bucks. It's nine dollars. At the end of the day, you can afford it. You know, come on, man. So download it. It's a great album. You know, and I was listening to a lot of the tracks off of it. Some killer stuff. Well, thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate that. (laughs) I can tell you one thing, though, that is wrong with it. There's a big, there's a huge flaw. Um, You're playing on it? Oh no, I'm kidding. Oh, boo. well, yeah, there, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that there was plenty of those. Um, but the that's not even the worst part of it. The worst part of it is no stone picks were used on the making of that record. Well, you always have other albums to make. It, it's really an incentive now to make the follow up album. You know, stone picks. You know, you can even name it that. I don't care. I won't sue you for right. Cool. <laughs> name it stone. Name picks. the album stone picks. Yes. <laughs> will you spon- you will sponsor the making of said album? I will sponsor the make. You can even use the font if you want. I'm I'm cool with that. You know. Oh uh, man, that's fantastic. Sure. <laughs> or you can call it Pickstone or something like that. I don't know. You can yeah, switch it around. Who cares? We'll, you know. We'll figure it out. We'll, sure. Yeah. yeah. I can guarantee you that that um, if we do get lucky enough that we can make another record, then I can guarantee you there will be stone picks on it. So there you go. So. Uh, I hope we have time. I do want to make an announcement here. I do have some some great things coming up to which you will be a definite recipient of the first of the batch. So, well, I yeah, some... I I was gonna say we we have just a few minutes left. We're we're kind of knocking on that hour threshold, and yeah. uh, I was gonna say last thing. What do you want to plug, my friend? So I I recently uh, pulled the uh, bit the bullet and I bought myself uh, two dinosaur bones. Apparently you can buy them. <laughs> I, I didn't know that you could buy dinosaur bones, but okay, uh, that's can, rad. You, you can't buy like the Brontosaurus or the T-Rex. You can't buy anything that should go into a museum, but there are like millions of other who care dinosaurs, like the, the Chickasaurus or something. And, really? Um, yeah, you can buy Yeah, as long as it's not like a T-Rex, Velociraptor, Brontosaurus, or one of the, like, the big ones that they need the bones for. So I've, I came across this excavator in Utah. They're still doing a lot of excavating out there. And I bought a two, three-foot planes of dinosaur bone. So I'm coming up with dinosaur bone guitar picks. That's so Prehistoric rad. Prehistoric picks. 
and I will be sending you a couple of each. You can give some out to your bandmates as well. Um, so if you go on Etsy right now, there are people who are currently selling dinosaur bone guitar picks. Uh, some of the bigger guys charge upwards from like $150 for one pick, which I think is crazy. Wow. Yeah, so so my picks will be significantly less than that, but they're going to be agatized dinosaur bone. I'm hoping I should have those back within about a month. So I'll definitely send a couple your way. Hopefully they have that grip that, that Goldie had for you. Oh, that'll be so cool. Yeah. I'm playing with a dinosaur. That doesn't yeah. that's like my nineties childhood like dream that to own a dinosaur something. A dinosaur bone. That's so cool. So really with stone picks, I always try to keep it innovative. Every time I come out with a new batch, I don't replicate the stones that I did before. I always want to see how many different other cool-looking stones I get. So when the opportunity arose, I know a guy out in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, and he pointed me to the excavator in Utah, and he was like, dude, you need to talk to him. I can make them for you. You just get the bone. Mm -hmm. And so I, I bought two different bones. Hopefully they look different so I can have two separate ones. But if not, I'll just have a bunch of similar looking picks. Um, but yeah, uh, dinosaur bone guitar picks coming out pretty soon. I'm hoping to keep them right at $20. Oh, very um, nice. Yeah. And I did some market research. They go between 40 and 150, depending on who's selling them. Wow. So I'm trying to do that for a lot less, not trying to get rich doing it, but definitely trying to put that material in guitar players hands who might not normally want to try it. So that's really cool. I think that, I think that's going to do well for you. I, that's uh, that's fascinating. I um, hope so. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. There you go. <laughs> All right, Andrew. Well, I've uh, I've blabbered on uh, like a moron for most of this episode, but uh, it was very nice your own talking hair to you. And, you know, yeah, it was not, it was great talking to you again, man. It, it's always quite enjoyable, and uh, there. Last uh, last thing would probably be just to plug your plug all where people can find you. Uh, okay, so um, Instagram it is Stone Picks, um, one word. Um, I sell you know guitar picks two for fifteen. I have a great bundle now, seven picks for twenty dollars. It's coconut wood, ebony, um, buffalo horn, the Jazz Three XLs. Um, the website is StonePicksUSA.com. All right. Perfect. Well, I'll be uh, putting all that in the show notes. So, Well, everybody out there in Tone Mob land, thank you for listening to us ramble on incessantly for this past hour. You guys have been great. Go get Blake's album. It's fantastic. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Andrew. Um, yes, sir. Well, for everybody out there, uh, for Andrew, I'm Blake, and good luck and good tones. I'll talk to you later, later man. On. All right, man. <laughs> So the episode's over. I'm truly sorry about that. I am. But there is a silver lining to all this. As of yesterday, if you're listening the day this episode drops, there is now, officially, a Tone Mob Facebook group. You go to Facebook and search The Tone Mob, you will see a... Facebook group pop up and there's already a bunch of cool dudes in there talking gear, talking pedals, talking pizza. You know why they're talking pizza. If you don't know why they're talking pizza, go back and listen to the episode with Mr. Jason Banning. You'll figure it out real quick. So 
head on over there, join the group, and um, yeah, we're going to have a good time. I'll be in there. I'll see you in there. I will, right? Go in there. Okay. Have a good week. Talk to you next time. Later. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.